Why do we sing the song of Simeon? Our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask for your blessing to be upon us as we hear from your word. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, help us to focus and turn our thoughts away from the distractions of this world. Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On September the 6th, 1901, six months into his second term, United States President William McKinley was shaking hands with the public when anarchist Leon Cholgosh shot him twice in the abdomen. After he fought for over a week to live, McKinley died on September the 14th of gangrene caused by the wounds. But you know, what's amazing about the assassination of McKinley was how composed and dignified he was from the moment he was shot until his death eight days later. Almost immediately after the two bullets penetrated his stomach, both police and citizens restrained Cholgosh, threw him to the ground, and began pummeling him. Cholgosh would have surely died in the streets, but McKinley demanded that they stop beating him. And once they stopped, McKinley calmly turned to his men and said, My wife, be careful how you tell her. Please be careful. Once he arrived at the hospital, McKinley was said to have a stoic disposition while repeatedly reciting the Lord's Prayer until he was fully sedated. The nurses and doctors were amazed at the mercy and pity McKinley took upon Cholgosh, saying, The poor fellow, he really didn't know what he was doing. He couldn't have known. McKinley fought hard in the hospital, and he was so encouraging and optimistic that everyone was sure he would live. But to their shock and disappointment, he died eight days after the attack. On the day he died, Ida McKinley began to sob over her husband, William, when she realized that he would soon pass. She began screaming, let me go with you, let me go with you. But McKinley, weak and delirious from his spreading infection, calmed his wife by using all of his remaining strength to put his arm around her neck while saying, we are all going, we are all going. God's will be done and not ours. As death drew near, Ida and William began to sing, Nearer my God to thee, and he died a few moments later. But before he passed, he said these final comforting words to everyone in the room. He said, Goodbye all, goodbye. It is God's way, his will be done. How can we face death, suffering, persecution, and all the trials and troubles of this life with dignity and confidence? Well, the answer is hope in Christ. Our text this morning shows us how hope in Christ is our greatest power. Hope in Christ is our greatest power. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 2, and we will begin in verse 22. Verse 22 says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Our text this morning is one of hope. It begins with Joseph and Mary, the two parents of Jesus, making their way to the temple to present their firstborn son to the Lord like good, pious Jewish people were called to do. We know from the Old Testament that this was a requirement placed upon God's people. The ceremonial law required two things for firstborn sons. The first is that they must be consecrated to God. The Israelites were for a time required to consecrate their firstborn sons because the Lord had spared their firstborn sons during the Passover. But later, when the Lord instituted the Levitical priesthood, the service of all firstborn males was no longer required. But the parents would still present the child before the Lord and make an offering to redeem their son from temple duty. The Old Old Testament law also required the sacrifice of a goat on the mother's behalf because she was considered ceremonially unclean. But if the parents were poor, they could offer up a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which is why Mary and Joseph are doing so here. So that's what Mary and Joseph were doing. They were doing all, what all their Jewish ancestors had done before them with their firstborn son. But we see in our text here that this firstborn son was very different. This son, unlike any other, would be the final purifying sacrifice of hope for the entire world. As we read earlier in the service, whoever would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord would be saved because immovable, Eternal hope had arrived. Now we see a great example of this hope in our text through this man, Simeon. Verse 25 says that he was a righteous and devout man awaiting the consolation of Israel. Now this may seem like Luke is just trying to tell us that Simeon was a good man, but verse 25 reveals to us something much deeper. It shows us that Simeon, unlike many in his day, had rightly placed hope. He had rightly placed hope. You see, Simeon, despite living under Roman rule and under the corrupt Jewish leadership of his day, he never lost sight of the hope of the coming Messiah. He trusted God and believed that God would provide the consolation of Israel. He trusted the word of God. Now, the question for us this morning is, are we a people of hope? Are we a people of Christian hope like Simeon? Is our hope in the right place? Well, here's how you know if it is. If you are a man of hope, then you will live righteously and devoutly, no matter the circumstances. Even if you are in the face of evil, even if you are under a corrupt government, even if you are facing persecution, even if you are about to die, you will live devoutly, righteously, confidently, and with dignity because of the strength of the hope inside of you. But if we're being honest, this is easier said than done, though, isn't it? Let me ask you a few questions. Would you live righteously and devoutly if you lost your job? What if someone slanders you? What if your spouse leaves you? Moms, what if someone disagrees with your parenting style? What if someone spreads lies about you and damages your reputation? What if someone at church treats you poorly? Kids, what if your friends reject you because of your faith in Jesus? I ask these questions because I've seen people leave the church over all these things, sometimes for something even less. Church, where is your hope? 
Simeon has his hope in the right place. His hope was in the Lord's salvation, whom he held in his arms. His, his hope was immovable and all-powerful. All but what about ours? You see, if our hope is in anything other than Jesus, we will not possess the power that God offers to us. If your hope is in something other than Jesus, then your hope is weak. Proverbs 24.10 puts it this way. It says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You know, one of the main problems with Christians today is we have misplaced hope. In fact, our hope often resembles the world's hope. We, we hope in the same things they do. Often our hope is in something fragile. And if you hope in something fragile, you will not be strong. Your hope will fail as soon as whatever you hope in fails. So where is your hope? It can't be in these things. It can't be in your money. It can't be in your reputation. It can't be in your status, your government, your country, your church leadership, or anything else. All those things can and will fail. They will all let you down. How's the old saying go? You should never meet your heroes, right? You ever wonder why people say that? It's because your heroes will let you down. They can't live up to your expectations. They can't live up to the hope that you place in them. You know, there's been, a, there's been a movement in the last few years called the deconstruction movement. Anybody heard of this movement, the deconstruction movement? Yeah, so what that is, is people, the, people in this movement, they, they get on social media and they tell their story of how and why they left Christianity. It's just a fancy way of apostatizing, essentially. And this story that they tell, it's called their deconstruction story. And if you listen to enough of these stories, you'll notice they almost always say one of two things. They'll say they left the faith because, one, they found out the church leadership they were under was corrupt. Or, two, they'll say they left the faith because they found out someone they admired in the church sinned in a big way. And then they'll say that these discoveries killed their faith. It killed their hope. But that's a lie. It's a lie. Because what they reveal when they say something like that is that their hope was never in Christ. It was in a person or a system. So when those things failed, their faith failed because their hope was in the wrong place. It was weak. I'll be honest, though. Sometimes I worry that if Doug Wilson or Peter Lightheart or some other theologian we all know and love fails, I worry about what it would do to some of our faiths. And my point is this. Our hope can't be in these men that we admire. It must be in the immovable rock, Jesus Christ. As Simeon says, Jesus would grow to be the one final hope before the face of all people. Simeon tells us that Jesus would be the glory of Israel. But Simeon also tells us about the hardships ahead for the Messiah and for his followers. Simeon doesn't sugarcoat how things are going to be now that Jesus has arrived. He acknowledges the turmoil that will come for Israel in verse 34. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. He then tells Mary, the mother of Christ, that a sword will pierce through her soul. Why does he tell her that? He tells her that because he knows what's coming. He knows her soul will be pierced because he knows the chaos that will come out of a response to Jesus. Simeon knows Jesus will divide people. He knows many of the Jewish leaders will oppose Jesus. And he knows Jesus will be killed. Mary's soul will be pierced because she will witness her son's death. But you know what's amazing about this? Despite everything Simeon knows about Jesus, he still breaks out in a song of praise knowing all the heartache that's about to come. 
How can he be moved to sing when he knows what's going to happen? Well, he sang because God's salvation had arrived. Whatever pain was coming for God's people, it didn't matter anymore because in his arms he held the king. It didn't matter that the Jewish leaders would reject their Savior because the glory of Israel and the light of revelation to the Gentiles was here to make all things new. By the way, have you ever wondered why the Jewish leaders didn't, didn't accept Jesus despite all the signs that he was the Messiah? You know, there were many reasons, but I'll tell you the main one. The main reason that they rejected him is because he taught the Jewish people to hope in him alone for salvation. But the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day couldn't have that because they wanted people to believe that they had the power that Jesus actually possessed. You see, their hope was misplaced, and they led people astray. They taught people that power came through the keeping of the law and their traditions, but Jesus came and said, No, your power comes through believing in me. I am the hope you have longed for. I am salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation, says Simeon. Simeon was a righteous and devout man because he hadn't lost hope in the God of the Bible. He trusted God. Therefore, he was overjoyed at the sight of the Messiah because he knew that since Jesus had come, the world would be saved. Salvation had arrived. Eternal hope was secured. He knew that this baby born of woman, born in the flesh, was what Israel had been longing for. This is why Simeon cries out in verses 30 through 32. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon knew when he took Jesus into his arms that the fulfillment of Israel had arrived. The light to the nations was here. Hope had come. And now since Jesus is here, there is nothing to do but break out in song and praise of God. Since the Christ has arrived, hope can never be taken from God's people again. Not then, not now, not 10,000 years from now, because every knee will bow and tongue will confess he is Lord. The wait is over. Salvation has come. There is nothing left to fear or long for. Can I hear an amen to that? You know, Simeon even says he can die in peace knowing that Christ has arrived. He can face death with no fear because he held salvation in his arms. In 2009, author Miriam Adney wrote a book about the global rise of Christianity called Kingdom Without Borders. And in this book, she tells all kinds of wonderful stories of miracles and church growth and trials and persecution. But she tells this one horrifying yet amazing story of the church in Rwanda. This story takes place during the Rwandan genocide of 1994. The genocide only lasted 100 days, but it was one of the most horrific acts of human evil in that century. During this 100-day span, over 300,000 women were raped and 800,000 people were killed, mostly Tutsi minorities. And one person told Adney a story of what took place at a Catholic orphanage during these 100 days. This is what he said. He said, the killers arrived at the orphanage and shouted, point out the Tootsie children. But the nuns who read the orphanage refused and boldly responded in unison, we only have children of God here. This made the killers furious, so they herded the entire orphanage near a mass grave. As the nuns and children walked to their death, the nuns began to shout hymns of praise, and the children sang with them. But the killers didn't care for their singing. One by one, each person was murdered. The nuns were the first to be slaughtered. But after all the nuns were killed, the children bravely kept on singing until there was just one treble voice left, boldly singing a hymn in the face of evil. 
the onlooker said there was no screaming, no crying, no panic in these children. They just sank. Children were able to face their own murder with dignity, confidence, and free of fear because they had hope for the Son of God had come. Church, do we have this same kind of hope? We should. Do you know the power you have now that Jesus has come? You have the same power as these singing orphan children within you. It's the power to face any and all situations. It's the power to face rejection, scorn, trials, and tribulations. It's the power to look evil in the face and sing a song of praise. It's the power of hope in Christ. Simeon, despite all he had seen and been through as a Jew, and despite the turmoil that he knew would come, he broke out in a song of hope upon holding Jesus in his arms. And with Simeon, we can say, Lord, I am able to depart in peace, because I have held salvation in my arms. Church, did you know we hold Jesus in our arms? We do it every week. When we come to the Lord's table, we hold his flesh and his blood in our hands. And what do we do right when we are finished? We rise together and we sing the song of Simeon. So why do we sing the song of Simeon? Because the Savior of the world has come. Because Christians have a long tradition of singing praises to God in the very best and the very worst circumstances. We sing it because there is nothing that can overcome our Lord. We sing the song of Simeon because like him, we are a people of hope and hope in Christ is our greatest power. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to realize the power that we have within us. Father, we know and confess this power comes from the hope we have in your Son, our Lord Jesus. For you sent him into the world, born of woman, born of flesh, to be the perfect and final purifying sacrifice on our behalf. He gave us the Holy Spirit who guides us, teaches us, and comforts us in trial. May we never question your love for us. Please help us to live boldly, confidently, and without fear. For Jesus has come on our behalf. He is our Lord, Savior, and King, and we ask these things in his name. Amen.